This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. We have a very interesting guest for today's episode. She's working as a postdoc at Gerontology Research Center at the University of Yvaskula, Finland. She's doing research on skeletal muscle and hormonal aging. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honored to introduce our guest, Dr. Sira Karvinen. Welcome, Sira. Thanks for the invitation. It's good to be here. Yeah, thank you for taking the time for this podcast. So uh, you have studied effects of exercise and longevity. Could you tell more about these studies you have done? Yeah, sure. So I did my PhD um, about genetic background, uh, physical activity and uh, lifespan. And in that study, uh, we used a rat model. So we had um, rats that were intrinsically good in running, high-capacity runners, and rats that were intrinsically very bad runners, so-called coach potatoes. Yeah. So low-capacity runners. And then we um, divided them into groups. So basically half of them had the opportunity to voluntary run in a running wheel. Mm. And then half lived in a normal cage. And interestingly, what we found was that the rats that uh, had the opportunity to voluntary run actually had a shorter lifespan than the ones that lived in regular cages. Yeah. Um, but even though this happened, um, the ones that had intrinsically high running capacity lived longer than the ones that were couch potatoes. So we stated basically that um, the genetic background um, determines your lifespan more than the physical activity level. Yeah. And and how do you see this? These were rats. How do you see that? Is, is it the same with humans? Do you have any, any guesses on this? Um, I don't have to guess. <laughs> we have a study uh, that we did in twins. Yeah. So uh, we had both uh, diazygotic twins. So those are not identical, but had the same sex. Yeah. And then monozygotic twins that are identical. Yeah. And these twins that we had in our study were discordant from their physical activity level. So again, uh, the other twin was very active and the other one wasn't. And yeah. if we look at the dizygotic twins that don't share the same genetic material, um, there was a difference in the lifespan. So the active twin lived longer compared to the one that wasn't physically active. Mm. But then again, if we look at the identical twins, uh, there's no difference in lifespan, whether they were physically active or not. Mm. So what what does it all mean? Could you, could you tell us? <laughs> Uh, I'll try to. <laughs> so um, basically, we think that there's same set of genes that control the lifespan and your physical activity level. So basically, it's called genetic pleiotrophy. Mm. So that one gene or set of genes uh, influence two or more seemingly unrelated 
traits, such as the physical activity and lifespan. Mm. And why do you think the lifespan and physical activity would be controlled by same genes? Why why would it be like this? That's a good question. Well, um, we do know that uh, maximal aerobic capacity is a good predictor of mortality. Mm. So it seems that the genes basically determine your aerobic capacity. And if by genetically, if you are kind of a high capacity person, then you also like to do exercise. It's kind of those who can will. Mm. Yeah, I see. So in this way, it would be that if you have naturally high VO2, that is determining your lifespan. And the one that you get from training doesn't have an effect. Am I right? Um, yes and no. <laughs> we don't know for sure. Because this uh, study that we did only consisted of physical activity from adulthood. So yeah. if you start the physical activity at adulthood, it seems that the gained VO2 max through training doesn't affect your lifespan. Yeah. But we do not know for sure what happens, for instance, if you started in, in early early in life, in childhood. All right. So, mm. But anyway, you're saying that if you improve your VO2 max in adulthood, it doesn't give you extra lives, yes, extra years for life. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I have a little bit to take mm. on this as it's kind of uh, contra dictatory to what I have thought it would be. Is there any anything that could be kind of mixing this or is it is it really that the training doesn't in, increase your lifespan? Well, um, at least like I said, if it starts from adulthood, it seems it doesn't affect your lifespan. Like if we compare our study to the previous observational follow-up studies that you're probably referring to, mm. um, so those do indicate that high leisure time physical activity associates with low all-cause mortality. Mm. But if we look at um, observational follow-up studies um, and we choose people that are highly active, and then people who are not physically active. We're not only choosing the physical activity level, we're also choosing people with different genetic backgrounds. Mm. So this is what we think it's the difference between our study and the previous studies, because you cannot control the genetic background, at least previously, it wasn't possible. Mm. And then if you have a training study, they are too short actually to... To say, yeah, yeah, the influence on lifespan, yes. Yeah, and and now we are kind of talking about running and training that affects VO2 max. How do you see the difference between light physical activity and then moderate to vigorous physical activity? Well, in terms of VO2 max, it has to be quite vigorous to have an effect on VO2 max. Mm. So in that sense, if it's very light, uh, it doesn't increase your VO2 max, even though it, it counts as physical activity, of course. Mm. So in that sense, if, if you're trying to improve your VO2 max, 
the exercise has to be vigorous. Mm. And basically, your studies it was it was o- vig- only about vigorous. Yes, activity. only about vigorous activity. Yes. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. And and then like, isn't it shown that physical activity decreases the risk of quite many diseases and their risk? Yes. And then it's proven that these diseases have a increased mortality rate. So if these steps are proven, how come there's no direct link from physical activity to mortality? It's a very good question. I wish I had the answer to that. Yeah, because logically, if you have the steps, you would think that there's a big step also. But yeah, do you, do you have any plans to study this? Can you study the steps and the overall thing? or? Mm, um, right at the moment, I don't have any um, of this kind of a longevity um, study in mind. Mm. And probably a um, good thing would be starting by animal models, but not not in human populations as such. Yeah. All right. That's that's really interesting. And and did you look like different age groups? Is there any difference between different people of different ages? You mean of the physical activity? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. No. We had only this one cohort of the twins, and uh, they were roughly in their thirties when the study started. So yeah. So this is what we call the you know, adult age started uh, physical activity. But I wish we would have a cohorts where we could follow the physical activity level from childhood. Yeah, yeah. And and do you think now now you were looking the vigorous intensity activity? Do you think the same genes are controlling the other intensities of physical activity, or are they independent? That's a good question, and I I'm afraid I don't have a hypothesis for that. Um, the only thing I can say is that um, if if you have the intrinsically high kind of VO2 max, so probably you also kind of like to go with the higher intensities. Okay, let's get back to that in a moment and hear a few words from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity and energy expenditure. Furthermore, Fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light, moderate and vigorous intensity. In addition to scientific accuracy, Fibian provides automatically produced and easy-to-understand reports for research participants. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. And and when you're using animal models or rats, how is actually the light intensity activity or sedentary behavior? Because I, I guess rats don't sit that much in the office. Yeah, they don't. And uh, in in this study, we had only the um, kind of uh, amount of running in the in the running wheel. So we didn't actually um, study the sedentary time we were we were focused on the time that they spent active in the cage yeah and we did have um in addition of course to the running wheels we had a 
ground reaction force recording of the cages so we could see when they were active and that we then can normalize to the sedentary time when they only stay still and breathe. So basically mm. your measurement was the ground reaction force when yes. the when the animal is exerting force downward, that's the activity yes. time. All right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And you have also done some studies related to different age groups. So is exercise equally beneficial to people at all ages? Um, yeah, this is a good question. Um, I, I suppose to acknowledge um, the body response to exercise at all ages. So in that sense, it is beneficial for us all. And um, as said before, also exercise started early in life might even improve your longevity, but that we don't know yet. Mm. And it should be studied. Um, however, um, there are certain aging-related physiological changes that exercise doesn't really save you from. And mm -hmm. one, one example of this is menopause. Yeah. So I would say that um, in certain age groups, it's not as efficient as it is for other age groups, for instance. Yeah. And, and why, why is that? Why isn't that beneficial for women? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so all women encounter menopause roughly at the age of 51 mm. years. And it means that the ovarian function ceases. And that leads to estradiol deficiency. Yeah. And that's the main uh, major uh, sex hormone, and it affects several tissues. Uh, so during menopause, women kind of go through accelerated aging, if I may use this term. Yeah. So we sort of reach the same level as men in several uh, disease risks, which is unfortunate. It we is, don't yeah. support the equality in this sense. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, so during menopause, it's associated to uh, increased risk of cardiovascular disease and metabolic diseases and uh, unfavorable lipid profile. And it seems that this happens to you even though you are physically relatively active. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, is the physical activity beneficial during the menopause and you you said that it's not as beneficial, or how, how does it go? It is beneficial, but the physiological changes related to the loss of estrogen are more prominent mm. than the exercise as such. Yeah. So you cannot really um, completely offset the effects of loss of estrogen by exercising, at least not at the levels that we, we saw in our study. Yeah, and are the effects uh, bigger for, for example, VO2 max, muscle mass, bone health? What what are are the effects for different aspects of fitness? Um, we didn't actually um, check in our study the parameters you mentioned there. Uh, we were concentrating on blood lipid profile because we know that gets worse with the menopausal change. So we were interested of uh, total cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, and uh, LDL cholesterol. Mm. So you have done some some studies related to HDL and its risk to 
cardiovascular disease. Could you tell more about those ones? Yeah, so um, um, it is known that exercise increases um, HDL levels. And it's proposed to be one of the key mechanisms through which exercise works in prevention of cardiovascular disease, for mm. instance. So um, HDL, um, its um, most well-known function is in reverse cholesterol transport. Mm -hmm. So HDL uptakes cholesterol from peripheral tissues as well as the arterial walls and takes it back into the liver. And um, in, in previous studies, it has been seen that when the HDL level is high and, for instance, exercise increases the HDL level, then the cardiovascular disease risk are lower. Mm. And, and is it in menopause, the HDL is increasing? And does it have the same mm. effect or how does it go? Yeah, so the interesting thing or a paradox that we have found in our study and in other uh, and seen also in other literature, is that menopause actually increases HDL level. But it's not cardioprotective um, mm. during menopause. So and it seems that there's something that changes in the HDL function so that the HDL cholesterol level per se doesn't tell whether it's actually good mm. or is it as good for you as some other level. And this is uh, one key finding that we would like to address in our future studies. Yeah, and, and is there any proof that there could be this different function of HDL in other conditions than menopause? Uh, yes, there are studies. And for instance, um, when they have used HDL um, medicine that increases your HDL level if you have, for instance, um, increased cardiovascular disease risk. If you only increase the HDL level by medication, it doesn't actually help in prevention of the cardiovascular disease. Mm. So it seems that it's kind of, the function isn't the same in every case. Mm. So basically, physical activity increases the HDL, yes. but it's not the HDL per se which is mm. doing it. So are we kind of actually measuring the wrong thing? It just indicates that you did physical activity. Or how would I put it? Uh, is the cardioprotective effect in same relation as the changes in HDL? when you do physical activity? Mm, I'm afraid I don't have a um, concrete um, answer to that one, though. Um, like we see from epidemiological studies that high HDL levels associate with low cardiovascular disease risk. But to your question, are we measuring the wrong thing? Um, it might be so that if we measure only the HDL cholesterol levels, it's not the same as measuring HDL particles, for instance. Mm. So there's also different size particles and even the different sized particles 
might have different function. So we should somehow measure maybe the functionality of the HDL or get more deeper into the particle to understand it better. All right. Uh, did I understand correct that there's different sizes of HDL? Yes. Or All right. Could you tell more? I, know, I have no idea of this. Um, I'm pretty new in this field. But um, like if we check metabolomics, those are uh, divided into small, medium and large size. And according to their uh, density, you can also separate them into two distinct um, categories. All right. And is there any studies looking at the effects of different sizes of HDL already? Or is this how, how new thing is this? This is quite new. And there are studies, for instance, testing the functionality of um, the density different HDLs, so HDL2 and HDL3. But I'm not sure if I'm the best person to go more into detail here. No, that's that's all right. It's 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 interesting anyway. Mm. And and do you think this is the reason in the menopause that there's a different function in the in the HDL? What what is your guess? My guess is that there's a difference in the composition of the HDL particles as well as in the function. Mm. Yeah. And do you think it could be, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very bad with this, I'm not good with biochemistry, but for example with insulin, it is about the sensitivity of the tissues. Could there be some similar mechanism related to HDL? Well, HDL does um, um, interact with um, probably a lot of different cell types. And... It hasn't been studied um, that much, mm. but for instance, they can exchange their cargo with, with macrophages, for instance. All right. So it, basically, if there's a mechanism that it can exchange information between one cell type, why couldn't it do with other cell types, mm. for instance, skeletal muscle? Yeah. So it might function also as a signal transducer or mediator all right mm. so we have quite many good ideas here for for future studies that could be could be studied let's have a short break and hear a few words from our sponsor this podcast is sponsored by fibian a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting standing physical activity and energy expenditure Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com slash research. If we go a little bit backwards, we were talking about the menopause and and that the estradiol goes down and estrogen also goes down. Would, would the hormone replacement therapy solve the problems related to this? Mm. The hormone replacement therapy uh, during menopause, uh, I think it probably will always be a mixed picture of benefits and risks. Mm. So I'm kind of careful of how, how to put my words with this. So if a woman experiences uh, very severe um, menopausal symptoms, uh, the hormone replacement therapy has beneficial effects um, in that too. Uh, release the symptoms, but and also um, 
it has been shown that hormone replacement therapy has uh, positive effects, for instance, in bone and muscle, but it also increases certain cancer risks. Mm. So um, in that sense, um, it's in Finland, for instance, it's only prescribed um, depending on your symptoms. Mm. And it should be used as short time as possible with the most um, low doses as possible that you get the benefits, but not to exaggerate the hormone mm. levels in that sense. Yeah, so it could be useful, but only in limited cases and very, very carefully. Is yes. that the take home message? All right. And uh, if if we go a little bit to to future and what do you think what should be studied in the exercise field in the in the future well right now uh, i'm interested in acute exercise responses and especially at the systemic level so kind of communication between tissues during exercise and i think the one Key question is how are exercise adaptations initiated throughout the body? Mm. So how does, for instance, muscle communicate with other tissues during during exercise? And how does aging, for, for instance, the hormonal aging affect this or does it affect mm. the signaling or the response to exercise? And mm. uh, lately I have been concentrating into... Um, extracellular vesicles so those are mediators of signals uh, between different tissues yeah so that would be one thing that i'm interested in the future yeah so you have some new projects coming coming up there are you are you looking for some kind of collaboration partners there might be some listeners who who could be interested in collaborating so you can you can advertise your research group here. I'm always open for new collaboration and uh, well in Finland we have this uh, great opportunity to do um, human work especially because people are very willing to volunteer and uh, they come to the lab when we tell them to, and they do everything according to the instructions. You know, as Finns, we're very particular about yeah. timetables and everything. So that gives us great um, study setups here to study. And right now we're doing this uh, longitudinal um, like study across menopausal transition. And mm. we have plenty of samples from the people so if there's some ideas new ideas about menopause related or hormonal aging related things then mm. we'd be interested and and of course the extracellular vesicles are kind of a new field in our group yeah so especially that side would be good to have international collaborators all right so if anyone is interested in collaboration contact you via research gate or email or what would be the best way email would be good yeah and let's see yeah so you are you have done quite a bit of effect of genes have you thought of collaborating with the universities from iceland as i know that it's 
it's quite a small country and I have understood that they know their their people's genes quite well. Well, that's a good idea. Haven't thought of it yet, but now I'll start I will start now thinking about it. Yeah, and I think they are pretty much all related to each other. I don't know if it helps this study idea of longevity or depends probably on the study question how I form it, but I'm sure I can make up one that would fit perfectly with that. Yeah, all right, all all Icelandic researchers, yeah. And yeah, we have covered quite many themes. Is there some themes you would like to bring up? Mm, Not really. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's been a pleasure discussing with you. It's been really, really interesting discussions. And I'm still considering, can it be that the physical activity doesn't give extra years to my life and other people's lives? But I need to, I need to think of it. But uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for being the guest. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com slash research. The Physical Activity Researcher podcast has created an activity tracker purchase guide for researchers. Get your free copy from the link in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to the Physical Activity Researcher podcast.